Yeah, so we have, we have had a lot of sickness <laughs> hit our group, um, and I'm even struggling a little bit this morning. Um, so I don't know if we need to, like, instead, we need to get rid of the donuts, and we need to, um, like, hand out um, vitamin B shots, and people should gargle with essential oils, um, bathe in some Purell when they go home. But, no, it's, it's a good day, and uh, we're going to get through this. And at some point, um, we're going to be surprised because everybody's going to make it together. You know, if, if, can I just be honest with you a second? The thing that's so hard for me is that have you ever, it, it, it's, it's not that I don't understand as pastor when things come up and, um, and, when, and when people get sick or they're traveling or they can't be here. Um, I look at it like this. When... Um, when you're inviting your family or your closest friends over and somebody that you love and you, uh, you care about um, who just brings smile to your face, when they can't make it, you're just kind of bummed out, right? I mean, you understand. You're like, I get it, you know, and that. But you're like, oh, man, it's so much better when they're here. That's actually how I feel. So when people aren't here, um, I, I totally understand. Um, I, I, I get it. I really, really do. But I just, I just miss you all when, you, when, you're, not, when you're not with us. So, um, all right. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Uh, that, was, uh, that was awesome. That was such a great day. Uh, I left here. I was the last person out, and I got into the car and found out that I won this party pack from the Mexican restaurant down the street. It was awesome. Tamales, they were really good. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic day. What was funny about the Super Bowl, though, is we had like, I don't know, we had over 30 people at Big Whiskey's to watch the, the bowl together. And by, by the end of the game, like when it got really good in the last seven minutes, it was just me and Daniel and Sarah. That was it. That was left. All right, we had over 30 people, but everybody else was like, oh, you know, okay, this game, you know, and then left and went home. But it got real, the last seven minutes were awesome. I mean, like, they were just incredible. Um, we should have just watched seven minutes of a football game. It would have been fantastic. So I guess what I'm telling you today is hang on with me today as I preach, because the last seven minutes <laughs> hopefully are going to be awesome. Um, now, we are, we are wrapping up a series that we started a little while back called Detox. And um, we're, we're in the third and final week of that series. And the first week we talked about um, making pre-decisions and, um, and setting up healthy boundary markers in our lives. If you move those boundaries too close together, you get legal. If you move them too far apart, it becomes all relative. And then we went from there last week and we talked about establishing effective practices in our lives. What does it look like? so that we can stay in a place where we're rejoicing, even in the midst of trial, where we pray uh, without ceasing, and we can replace anxiety with anticipation through prayer. Um, in order to do these things, we've got to stay focused on what matters the most. This third week, this last week, we're going to talk about what it would look like for us to get a spiritual detox. Now, by definition, a bodily cleanse uh, is a process or period of time during which a person attempts to rid their body 
of substances that are regarded as toxic or unhealthy, typically by consuming just water or liquids in that. Now, if you look at the definition of the word as a verb, to cleanse is to make something thoroughly clean. Thoroughly clean. Some of the synonyms for the word are, are rinse, disinfect, sanitize, decontaminate, wash, and bathe. If you, uh, ha- if you have a preteen son or if you have raised uh, a boy um, on into his teens, you know that this subject of bathing is like a, it's a struggle, like daily. Take a shower, bathe, put on deodorant. You smell. It's like, am I right? Am I, I'm, I'm right. I know I'm right. I've experienced, I've worked a lot with teenagers, and the best thing is when you get into a van full of them. Yeah, and it's too cold to roll the windows down. Um, yeah, yeah. It's never too cold. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's not. Um, so, now when you look at the word toxic, none of it sounds good. When you look at the synonyms for that word, you get things like poisonous, venomous, noxious, dangerous, destructive, malignant, injurious. None of that sounds good. But what I want to do for us today is I I want to give you a sort of a metaphor for detox and, and the way in which we think about it, the way we approach it. Because when you look closely at the scriptures, detox is something that is at work from Genesis all the way to Revelation, all the way through God's word. And the purpose of detox is to give us life, rich, full life, spirit, mind, and body. Now, there is one thing that each of us needs 100% for life to exist, and that is blood. And as Natalie said, we are going to talk about blood. You're like, really? You're going to talk about blood? I mean, I've, I've been thinking about my lunch plans after this, and it's really... But we're going to talk about blood today. And generally speaking, blood's not gross. It's only, it's only gross when it's outside of our bodies. Typically not when it's inside. We don't think about it a lot, right? Um, but the scripture that I want to start with, and I think is just, it, I just, I, I teared up. It blew my mind because this often happens with, with Natalie and, and, and me where... Um, we talk a little bit about things that are, you know, the direction that I'm going to be speaking on or, or, or that, but inevitably she'll get up to take the offering in that, and there is this, what I can only reference as resonance, it's spiritual resonance, when there's a connection point between things, and she was talking about being known. So Psalm 139, this is how it starts out in verse 1. It says, you... Let's go to verse 1 first. Do we have that? Maybe. Here's what verse 1 says. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know me. Then further down in verse 13... This is what it says. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. So here's what is utterly fascinating to me. 
There is a God who created everything that we see. The earth, the moon, the stars, the universe, all that we can set our eyes upon. In addition, that same God has created everything that is unseen. Have you stopped to consider that there is a universe inside of us that easily matches what is out here? There is a universe inside of us just as vast, just as detailed, just as amazing. This is what the psalmist is referring to when he says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a verse in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, that talks about the importance and the significance of blood. It says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Atonement for one's life. Life is, blood is life. I should say, blood is life. And I have come to know this in a very personal way. In a situation that I never expected to encounter, one that I will never forget, one that has changed my life forever. A lot of you know, and I've shared kind of components of this story, that when Robbie was born, our, our oldest, um, that Natalie had complications at the end of that birth. So he was born fine, healthy, everything kind of went, I mean, it was a long labor, but everything besides that kind of went textbook-wise. But then um, when I went to go with him uh, to the nursery, things changed. In, in, in the, on the back end of it, Natalie had serious complications, and she almost completely bled out and died. And when I entered the, her hospital room, once I realized something was going on, it looked like a war zone. I had never seen so much blood and seen it all over the floor like I did. And I knew that I wasn't just staring at blood. I was looking at the life going out of my wife. Because when I stared at her, she didn't look like the woman that I knew. She didn't have the color in her face any longer. It had left. She was pale. Um, you know, like kind of sometimes when you look at those, um, like a porcelain doll or something, it has that look of just paleness to it. Amazingly enough, with as much blood as she lost, which she pretty much lost everything that she carries, um, she retained consciousness. I don't know how. Enough so that she asked me if I would pray for her. Never have I felt in that moment of being asked to pray so helpless. Um, it was the shortest prayer that I ever prayed because the prayer was just help. God, help. Help Natalie. Help me. Help us, God. And thankfully, um, you know, the end of that story is, well, obviously she's here. Um, but the end of that story, yeah, praise God. Um, the, she was rushed to surgery. They found the problem. And even the bigger thing, because we were in a rural, small Iowa town that did not, I don't think, they didn't, they didn't have all the blood there, right? They had to bring it in. 
they were able to bring in enough blood to transfuse into her body. And as that blood went into her, so did the life go back into my wife. So you can say, I can say, I have witnessed firsthand the impact of blood lost. But I've also seen firsthand the power of blood shared. What I'd like to do now is I'm going to share some things with you. And this is where I get a little bit nervous because um, I know these things to be true, but I don't fully understand them because my medical disclaimer at this point is, uh, in case you didn't know, I'm not a physician. In case that's a surprise to you and you were wanting me to do some procedure on you, I can't. I won't do that. Um, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. Um, And so... Um, if you're in the medical world in any form or fashion or have been or just know a lot more about medical knowledge, which you probably do than I do, um, and I say something incorrect, then just, you can correct me after the service. Just send your email to Daniel at, uh, uh, that's Daniel at, uh, all right, so here we go. Um, this is a very brief, dumbed down explanation about how blood works. The body is comprised of between 40 and 100 trillion cells. It depends upon what you count, how you count it, who's counting. Okay? You, have red blood, you have red blood cells, which carry the oxygen to the body. They're like little buckets. Then you have white blood cells, which are the defensive forces. You get a cut. They scurry over. There's all kinds of them. They patch. They plug. And then you have these little platelet things that are so tiny you can't see them with the human eye. They're, they're not even a cell because they don't have a nucleus. And each one of these, there's like a gazillion of them, each one of these that carry 300 proteins. Now, you and I can't live without protein. And there are 300 proteins in just one of those tiny little platelets. And here's what's crazy about that. We only know what about like four of those proteins actually do out of the 300. Now, whether or not I know you well, and here I know most of you fairly well, or if you feel like I don't know you very well at all, there's some things I know about all of you, okay? In the United States, we have an interstate highway system that has approximately 48,000 miles of interstate highway. In your body, depending upon uh, your size, you have somewhere between 60 and 80,000 miles of highway called blood vessels. When your heart pumps, and it does that, makes me think of the heart of rock and roll. Um, when, When that happens, which it's doing right now, it's beating somewhere on average about 70 beats a minute. Every time it does that, blood courses out of the superhighway. It goes down two lane road, goes down bike pass, foot pass, and then you get a little red corpuscle that squeezes its way through a capillary that's the width of one-tenth of the size of a human hair. Two million red blood cells die and are replaced every second. So let me give you a picture of what that looks like. Every 20 seconds, life-giving blood leaves your heart, and then that red corpuscle travels and it hits your big toe. And it makes like 500,000 rounds before it gets tired out, scrubbed out, dismantled, and sent back to the bone marrow, and then out it goes again. This is happening 
every second, every minute, as you sit here this morning. Now, one last factoid to give you. Within that red corpuscle, there's a thing called hemoglobin. A hemoglobin molecule has like 10,000 atoms in it. 10,000 atoms in just one little tiny thing, and four of those are iron. Oxygen connects to those four out of 10,000 atoms, and it fills up the red blood cell bucket. Off it goes to nourish us and keep us alive. This is happening every second, every minute that you're sitting there listening to me. Your body, all those trillions of cells are doing this. The bucket comes by, it reaches out, it grabs the good stuff, and then it spits out all of the bad stuff. Such good medical terminology here, right? Um, the toxins are excreted or breathed out, and all the good stuff nourishes our bodies, cleanses our bodies. We are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, well, thanks for that. Um, appreciate your little biology lesson. Um, maybe could have just watched an episode of StoryBots on Netflix. Have you watched StoryBots? Parents, StoryBots is a kid's show, um, but I found it very educational for myself where kids um, write in and they ask questions, and, and then they, they take the episode to explain the answers to those questions. There's a really good episode about blood and sickness and cells and all of that. And so if you didn't learn anything from me, just go home and watch StoryBots. But here's the point I want to make. If we lose blood, we die. If we gain blood, we live. Blood and life are synonymous. Blood is life, and your body is creating it as we speak. It's replacing bad with good. It's replacing death with life. That being said, how does all of this affect our spiritual lives? Remember I said that detoxing is all throughout Scripture. The Bible refers to a river of life that starts in Genesis, and it flows all the way through to the book of Revelation, running all the way through it. In the Old Testament, people were very accustomed to the idea of blood. They saw sacrifices. They witnessed capital punishment all the time. They were instructed in the book of Leviticus not to eat meat that had blood in it. Had to be butchered. Had to be butchered properly. It had to be, the blood had to be drained from, from that animal in a certain way for it to be kosher. Why? Because blood is life. The same reason why when Natalie was talking about the woman with the issue of blood, that's why they kind of quarantined her because blood was very precious. And if somebody had an issue with blood, well, then we're, we're, they got a label. We got to stay away from them. Blood is life. Something is going on with that person. Blood meant atonement for sin. In the old sacrificial system, it was part of washing and cleansing. So you've got the priest in the Old Testament, and the priests had to be ritually purified. They were the ones who did all this. You have something called the Day of Atonement. It was a very elaborate process to become purified and clean. The blood of the lamb was sprinkled on things and poured out ritually. When you read in the, uh, when you read in the book of Exodus about Moses 
in the deliverance of, of the Hebrews from their slavery to Egypt, you read about a command that God had given to take the blood of the lamb and to sprinkle it or to, to wipe it across the doorpost by doing so that the death angel would pass over and the people would not be harmed. That's where we get the celebration of Passover from. Now, 1,300 years later in John, the first chapter, John the Baptist is baptizing people down at the Jordan River for repentance. He sees Jesus coming, and he connects Jesus with that same blood on the doorpost, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He makes that connection there. Decades later, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. You see, this thing that takes the toxins out of my life, this thing that takes the toxicity out of my spirit, is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's it. That's where the power rests. Jesus Christ is the reason. Now, if you look at Jesus' ministry, he's doing all these things. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. And then in, um, in John chapter 6, he performs this miracle at the beginning. He feeds 5,000 people. And it's, a, it's an incredible miracle, and the people are astonished, and many people follow him. And then later on in that same verse, they have a conversation about what brings life. And Jesus says, you need not just bread. You need spiritual bread. He says, I am the bread of life. And then at the end of the chapter, in John chapter 6, verse 53, says this. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, this passage of Scripture and this statement coming from Jesus to those followers at that time probably resulted in the needle sliding across the album. What? Like when you read this and you think about it, they're going, what are you saying here? Blood for atonement is something that is sprinkled, something that is poured, but it's not something that is drank. He's talking about drinking his blood. He's talking about eating his flesh. What does he mean? He's clearly crossed the line. He's clearly gone off the rails. I mean, imagine if you're a practicing Jewish person during this time. For centuries, you've understood and you have practiced properly. The, you've handled blood in a proper way. You have an understanding and a context for that. 
about the importance and the significance of it and how it should be handled. You pour it, you sprinkle it, but you don't drink it. They didn't know what to think. You see, wanting the blessings of Jesus is not the same as believing in him. Wanting the blessings is not the same as believing. They loved it when he performed miracles. When Jesus would perform miracles, he'd gain a lot of fans. But being a fan and being a follower are two different things. They're two different things. They, want, they loved it when he performed miracles. They wanted him to be their king. Well, kind of. Only if he was doing what they wanted them to do and doing it the way they wanted him to do it. When that stopped being, then they turned. So here Jesus tests them by making a statement that sounds crazy. I mean, you have to think that they're like, in the, in the Bible it says that their response is like, um, this is hard teaching. Interpreted that we would be like, this is, you're, you're cray cray, I'm, I'm out. This is, I'm, I'm done. I'm not eating any flesh or drinking any blood. We just moved into a whole weird, yeah, no, not doing that. They, but see, they completely under, misunderstood what Jesus was saying here. Because for Jesus, eating is believing and drinking is believing. He promises eternal life to those who believe in him. Believe what? Believe in his, that in his death, that in the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood, that it would pay the full penalty for our sins and that his perfect righteousness is freely given to us in exchange for our unrighteousness. Believing this is how we eat Jesus' flesh and how we drink his blood. This is why he instituted the Lord's Supper. He did not want us to forget the thing that is at the very core and crux of our faith. We've got to believe. There was a poet back in the 1700s by the name of William Cowper, or Cooper, as I believe people would say it. He became close friends with another guy named John Newton, and the two of them collaborated, and they wrote many songs, many of which we still know and love today. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace and Wondrous Things of Thee Are Spoken. Cooper wrote God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And he also wrote this song, which was initially called Praise for the Fountain Opened. The words to it are this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I grew up singing that song. I grew up singing that hymn often. I didn't think of it at that period of time as being gross. <laughs> I really didn't. 
um, I, I, I thought of it actually as a really kind of a cool idea that we could bring ourselves before the Lord. We could bring ourselves before Christ dirty, broken, tainted, and he would wash all that crud and corruption out of our lives. I thought it was a tremendous thought. I still think it's a tremendous thought, but it's more than that. It's a tremendous truth. It's the truth. It's the gospel. So when you look at the picture of life given through Jesus' sacrifice, he's heading to the cross, and he has this Passover meal with like his closest friends, and then he captures the gravity and power of the moment because this is where eternity is about to be altered forever. What does he do? He takes the bread, and in Luke chapter 22, verse 19 and 20, this is what it says. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. The single thing that we do to remember the life and death of Jesus Christ is to regularly receive communion, to gather around the Lord's table, to remember his sacrifice. You cannot, I cannot clean the toxins out of my life for eternity on my own. I cannot do that. Only Jesus can. That's the message. That's the good news. That's the gospel. He does it. He does the work. He has the power to do that. Have I tried to do it on my own? I have, and I've failed over and over again. We would like to be able to think that in our own control, we could get those things out of our life. I've just stumbled and fallen every single time because that's not how this works. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And at that moment that, he said, that, that we make the decision to turn towards him, he begins to detoxify our lives. This is what is so awesome about my God, my Father. He, he doesn't say to me, you know what? When you get yourself put together, like when you get yourself cleaned up, fixed up, and all of that, then, then come see me, and I'll receive you at that point. That's not the God that I serve. Instead, he says, the moment that we say yes to him and turn in his direction, he embraces us with open arms. He takes us right where we are in a total broken mess. And he begins to detoxify us even as we are coming and moving towards him. That's the God I serve. That's Jesus. That's the gospel. It all centers around this new covenant that was made through his broken body and his shed blood. That's where the cleansing takes place and our lives are changed. You know, we can accept it, we can reject it, 
but we can't alter the terms. He says, I will do it all. There's another great gospel song that I love. Many of us know it. The words to it say this, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its guilty stain. He washed it white as snow. It's the ultimate detox. And you might say, well, how do I begin that process? How do I oxygenate? How do I get clean? Well, it starts with what we started this series on where we talked about predecisions. We make a predecision to put our trust and our belief in Jesus Christ. And then he helps us to set up boundaries in our lives. He identifies things in our lives that need to be taken care of, that need to be removed, that need to be healed. And then he leads us to healthy practices like rejoicing, praying, and focusing on the things that are most important. It's all part of the process of detoxing. I love this statement that I believe it was C.S. Lewis who first said this. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So how can I take this metaphor of blood and apply it to my spiritual life? Jesus says you begin when you believe. When you believe, when you trust me, that's when it starts. As we close, if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know on all this blood stuff. I'm just not sure. I, I'm what you call a doubter, a skeptic. I just don't know that I get it. It's okay. It's okay. But what if you did something like this? What if you just breathed out in the next few moments? And in doing so, you said to the Lord, God, take what I know of me and connect it with what I know of you. Take what I know of me and just connect it with just what I know of you at this moment. That's what I've got. That's where, I will, that's, that's where what I can do. And then as you breathe in, Breathe in his spirit. Breathe in the spirit of God and let him oxygenate you and give you the start of a life in the detox process. The worship team's coming now as I close in prayer. We're going to receive communion this morning. They're going to worship. We're going to be dismissed. There are tables um, over in this corner and over in this corner in the back. Um, that as we worship, you can go and receive uh, communion. I just want to pray, pray for wherever you're at this morning, that you would continue to let God do, I'm in the way, um, God do his work in you to purify, to clean, to set us in a place where we can walk out and live out the life that we are called and created to. Let's pray today. God, thank you so much. There is no gospel without blood. We have to contend with that. If it's uncomfortable, so what? 
We can't skirt around it. In fact, we shouldn't. We should celebrate it. Because of your shed blood on the cross, we have life. That blood has given us life. You conquered death in the grave. Your body was broken and your blood was shed so that we might have relationship with the Father restored, healed, that our sins would be washed away. And then when we step into the Father's presence, he sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ, white as snow. God, oh, we thank you for that today. And as we receive communion, we remember that. The life we have is because of you, because of your goodness and your mercy. God, I pray that you would just meet hearts where they're at this morning. Meet them where they are, God. Bless them. And help them take steps closer to you today. We love you, Jesus. Jesus.